Welcome to the Search for Truth podcast, where we take a look at the Word of God and its authentic application to our lives. I'm Pastor Young, and in our daily Bible studies, we will ask the question, what is truth? Where do I fit in the story? And what is God saying to the church? So grab a Bible and enjoy. Word up! Hey everybody, welcome to another Search for Truth Bible Study. I'm Pastor Young, and uh, I want to thank you for tuning in, uh, whether it's through YouTube or through the podcast. I want to let you know that uh, I appreciate you trying to get the word out and and helping me uh, to spread the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, Let's jump into scripture. Uh, Yesterday's study, we covered 1 Samuel uh, 16 in the anointing of the new king, King David. Now, uh, the beautiful part about David's anointing, as I discussed yesterday, uh, was how in the midst of this anointing, it confirms who David is. It confirms his identity. Um, the the, um, the the reputation that David had received now uh, is now marked void by the anointing of God, and uh, what so today we're going to look at David's battle with Goliath, and I want you to see that it's not nearly as much of a battle as what we tend to think it is. Okay. I'm not taking anything away from it, just a heads up. I'm not going to, uh, you know, downplay um, this confrontation. But what I want you to see is that God does not have an equal counterpart in Satan. That God does not have, um, you know, someone that that weighs in the balance, uh, you know, equivalent to him, but on the evil spectrum. It doesn't work like that. The Lord... Is supreme. The Lord is completely sovereign, and so uh, when it comes to a confrontation, uh, I know that I know that upon our influence by Hollywood and uh, you know our influence of of good stories and and all of that, we we would like to make these confrontations legendary. We would like to incorporate drama. We would like to say. You know, I don't know if they're going to make it out of this. We, we would like to say, I don't know how it's going to happen. But things are really not that way when it comes to fighting on the Lord's side. Um, in, in the Battle of Armageddon that is prophesied uh, in the book of Revelation, it's not, it's not a close battle that the kingdom of God just happens to squeak it out right at the last moment. The Battle of Armageddon is an absolute slaughter. And the reason is because the Lord, time and time again, wants to prove that He is not just a little stronger than the enemy. Um, There's there's a place uh, in the book of Joshua where uh, they are taking over land after land after land and they're overthrowing country after country and people after people. 
And they are conquering the promised land that the Lord has given them. And uh, there's this one place where uh, Joshua gathers all of the kings of the people that Israel has just defeated. And he causes all of the men of Israel to gather together. And he allows the men of Israel to walk through and uh, causes the kings of those other lands to lay down on the ground. And he causes the men of Israel to put their foot upon the neck of the kings that they just uh, destroyed. And, uh, you know, I, I remember reading through that uh, back in the past and thinking, Lord, this is kind of... This is kind of unnecessary. This is adding insult to injury. Um, I thought about I thought about in the book of Judges, chapter three, the story of Ahud. You know, the man left-handed, the Benjamite, and uh, we know the story that he he plunges that dagger into the belly of King Eglon, king of the Moabites, and the Bible says that he was a fat man, and that the the fat of King Eglon closed up around uh, that dagger, and then the Bible says, and the dirt came out. And we know that he used the bathroom on himself. And, you know, I'm like, God, this, is this really necessary? Is this, is this, uh, is this something that we really need to know? Um, there's there's, a, there's a, an element of humiliation, you know? And, and, and I'm, I'm asking the Lord, is this really necessary? And um, one day I was reading all of that, and, and the Lord started to deal with me in kind of the direction I've already began talking to you about. And that is the Lord wants you to understand that you're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror, that your weapons are, are, they're not equivalent. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty. We, we are working with something that is greater we are operating in a greater place, a greater realm. Uh, and because of that, the battles are not close. I want you to know that the devil has never had a leg up on the Lord. I want you to know that the devil has never had the lead in this race. And I know what you might be thinking, you know. Well, what about, I mean, look at the evil in the world today. Look at, uh, you know, look at the, the, the sex trafficking and look at the abortion rates and look at mass homosexuality and look at, you know, the, the agenda that is out there and look at, I know, I know you might consider those things, but let me tell you, those are not victories on the enemy's side. That is simply people who are walking in flesh that have surrendered to the enemy. Okay. And what I, so what you have to do is you can't, you can't afford to compare uh, to compare their their uh, their surrendering to the enemy versus their lack of surrender to God, but rather what you what you if you want an accurate measurement, what you should do is you should see uh, you should see the destruction that comes whenever people surrender to the enemy versus how incredible the victory is whenever people surrender themselves to God. You see what I'm saying here? I'm saying that God can do more with you surrendering than the devil can do with you surrendering to him. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm saying that God can cause you to prosper so much more than the devil can possibly even destroy. And it's only because the Lord 
is this great, beautiful word called sovereign. I don't quite have time to talk about the glory of God, but maybe in, maybe in a, a few Bible studies from now, I really want to really break down what the glory of God actually means. But uh, for today's lesson, we're going to look at the confrontation between David and Goliath. Now, physically, physically remember, all of 1 Samuel is written from this perspective of flesh versus spirit, right? Uh, it's, it's, written, it's written from this perspective of what God is able to do versus what man wants to do, okay? That's the whole, you know, that's the whole scope of 1 Samuel. Now, what I want you to see is uh, we're going to pick up actually at the end of 1 Samuel 16 where we were, uh, where we were last time because this actually segues into, um, into the slaying of Goliath. All right, let's go to chapter 16 and um, verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him, David, in the midst of his brethren. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So this means David has a, has a literal anointing. You know, he, he, has, he has had uh, the, the, the horn of oil poured upon his head and dripped down, you know, upon his garments. He, he's had that experience. And, uh, and, and now we have the Spirit that comes along that confirms that anointing. Now watch this, okay? Verse 14 uh, verse 14 is linked with verse 13, okay? So the Spirit of the Lord comes upon David, but look at 14. But the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. You see, the, it's one and the same. The Spirit of the Lord that, uh, that was, was giving grace in time of need, that was giving that strength that, that is needed whenever you're going to lead the people of God. Saul was enjoying it, but he was not appreciating it. He was taking advantage. He was taking for granted the glory of God. And look at this. As the Spirit comes upon David, this, that same Spirit departs from Saul. And in and the Bible says, And an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And Saul's servant said unto him, Behold now, an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord... It's interesting how they, they're going to throw the blame on God. And they couldn't just say, uh, You know, Saul, you're a carnal jerk. And uh, this is what happens when the glory of God departs. Uh, you could you could reference here Judges. I think it's Judges 16, actually, uh, in in the story of Samson. You know that that when when the spirit of God departs, it is not because God changed His mind about you, but rather it is because you have let go of the last remaining pieces of your covenant with Him. The Lord is faithful to people, yes, but He the Lord is more. Uh, the more <laughs> the Lord is faithful to principles most, okay? What I'm saying is the Lord, it's true that He loves everyone. It's true that He is no respecter of persons. That's absolutely true. However, however, you cannot expect the Lord to, uh, to have the same exact relationship with Samuel as what he does with Saul, given what Samuel does versus what Saul does. This is why I say the Lord is not a respecter of persons, but the Lord is a respecter of principles. You see, 
The Bible said the Bible doesn't say the the effectual fervent prayers of anybody avails much. It says the effectual fervent prayers of a righteous man availeth much. And so we've got people that are very effectual. They have they have great feeling in their prayers. They have great heart in their prayers. We have people that are very fervent in their prayers. They're passionate. They're fervent. That, that word fervent comes from the same word that we get that heat. You know, it's a heat word. It's, it's a heated prayer. The effectual, the emotional, the fervent, the heated, the passionate prayer. We've got those things down, but the question really doesn't come down to how loud can you pray. The question really comes down with, are you walking with God? And if you're walking with God, uh, you know, you, you, can, you can have your prayers listened to, you can have your prayers answered, and, and I would make the argument, because of a lot of what Jesus talks about uh, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, I would make the argument that the volume has very little to do with whether you get your prayer answered or not. Should we sing with a loud voice? Yes. Should we shout unto God with a voice of triumph? Yes, absolutely. But what I'm saying is it's not the volume that is, that is bringing God near. No wonder scripture says his ear is not deaf that he cannot hear. His arm is not slack. His arm is not short. It's, it's, it's not that you have to shout to him because he's hard of hearing. We shout out of, out of the birthplace of our walk with God. You see, and so uh, it's it's not about the volume. Um, so so, but it, it's about the righteousness. It's about whether you're walking with God or not. And so, as this spirit comes upon David and re relieves it, removes itself from Saul, uh, his servants and Saul they do the same thing that a lot of people do. A lot of people walk around and they say, "Oh, God has forsaken me." You know, this thing that's I don't know why God is doing what He's doing, but just pastor pray for me. I just don't understand what the Lord is doing, folks. You need to examine your path. You need to examine. Are you walking righteously? I didn't say self-righteously. I said righteously. That means, are you aligning yourself as best as you can in truth with His Word? I'm not saying, are you justifying fleshly actions and finding a reason why it's okay for you to do but not okay for others? That's not what I said. What I said is, are you walking righteously? Meaning, how, how closely are you really aligned to this book? How closely are you really aligned? So uh, they, just, like, just like many others, Saul and his servants blame God whenever the Spirit of the Lord is removed from him. Uh, but, but that's really not the case. Verse 16, Let our Lord now command thy servants which are before you to seek out a man who is a cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon you that he shall play with his hand, and you shall be well. And Saul said unto his servants, Provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite. Coincidence? No, not a coincidence at all. They said, I, I know this guy. Uh, I think you're going to like him. His name is David. And unbeknownst to anybody in this story, David has had the anointing of God that has, that has fallen upon him. And what the, what the Lord is doing here is he is creating room for David in the palace. The Lord is creating room 
not because of David's gifting, but he creates room for David in the palace because of David's righteousness, because of his character, because of that inward thing that I was talking about yesterday. And so uh, let's go to verse 19. Wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine, a kid, and sent them by David his son unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him, and he loved him greatly, and he became his armor bearer. Now, this is going to come to play a little bit later, all right? But I want you to look at Saul and David's relationship at this moment. All right, I know you already know the story. I know that you know what's going to happen regarding David and Saul's relationship, but just stay with me, okay? Verse 22, And Saul sent to Jesse, saying, Let David, I pray you, stand before me, for he has found favor in my sight. And it came to pass, when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. This is what I noticed whenever I was reading through this yesterday. And that is, um, why is it that Saul likes David right now? I think the answer is because Saul is able to use David. Okay? And I know we might think up front, how is he using him? He's using him, you know, for entertainment. I think it goes a little deeper than that. You see, number one, it's interesting that Saul chooses uh, chooses to be amused rather than to be convicted. Rat so what I'm saying is, Saul could have said, uh, send for the prophet Samuel to come and tell me what I must do to get the glory of God back. What, how must I change? How must I modify my behavior and change my will so that maybe I can, maybe I can fix this? And I know if you're thinking to yourself, I don't know if he could have fixed it or not. I don't know, folks, because uh, Peter denied Jesus three times and ended up preaching on the day of Pentecost. David slept with one of his closest friend's uh, uh, wife and, and, and had an illegitimate son and then had the fellow killed. And then next thing you know, the Lord restores him right back to where he was. Paul was a terrorist killing half the early church. And I mean, be, be, be very careful whenever you start to decide who can repent and who can be restored and who can't. I believe that Saul could have come right back, uh, you know, maybe not to be the king anymore, but to be in right standing with the Lord at least. But Saul chose that I would rather be entertained. I would rather be amused. But it goes deeper than that, you see. What Saul had become accustomed to was feeling that anointing, feeling that presence of God. And so Saul's only, his only uh, available uh, plan to get that to get that anointing back to get the spirit of God back in his life because he chose not to repent his only other option was I've got to find someone else who is anointed and I've got to get around them you see this is this is where kind of the crux of the matter is going to be today um, you cannot win your victory through other people's anointing and I know I've been, I've been hitting this. I've been hitting this. But folks, there's a reason why God keeps on bringing me back to this. Okay? You have got to get your own anointing. Whether that is through repentance, whether that is through constant prayer, whether that is through fasting, whether that's through sacrifice, whether that's through consecration, or maybe whether that's through suffering, whatever it is, 
You need to get in a place where you can tell God, Lord, I can't afford to live through David's anointing because Saul, that's exactly what he's doing here. He is living through David's anointing and still sitting as king. He is, he is feasting off of David's uh, relationship with God and yet you know, enjoying the benefits uh, of David's relationship with God. Um, the, the way to test this, I, I just, I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you a test. Okay. The way to test whether you're living off of someone else's anointing or not is just, it's very simple. Can you go into a room, into your car, into whatever, can you get alone? And I mean, truly alone. Can you commune with God? Can you pray, worship, repent? Can you, can you have this time one-on-one -on -one with God and feel the same thing you feel at church? I'm not asking, can you pray with Shekinah Glory Ministries music playlist? It helps. I'm not asking that because Ultimately, that's their anointing that's ushering in the presence of God. I'm not asking, I'm not asking, can you feel the same thing you feel in church whenever you have a pastor preaching or teaching and, and that's filling up? And, and please understand that you need that, all right? I'm just telling you the, the test. The test is, can I get alone with God and have the same level of communion that I have with Him uh, that I do whenever I'm around somebody I know is anointed. It's time to face some hard truths. What I'm saying is that if Saul had taken an honest inventory, like I ask you to do every day, if Saul had been able to really self-examine, like I ask you to do every day, Saul would have realized that the remedy to his situation was not to find someone else who is anointed and get around them without changing myself. Saul should have realized, you know, maybe instead of calling for a harpist, maybe I need to get down on my knees and figure out why the glory of God has departed from me. Now, in the midst of all of this, the Philistines show up. Specifically, Goliath of Gath. He is one of the lords of the Philistines. And Goliath issues a challenge. Okay? This is, this is something called champion warfare. Okay? Goliath issues a challenge. And uh, I think I'm going to end up turning this maybe into a two-parter because I'm already at 22 minutes. It goes so quickly. Um, but let me just get through Goliath's challenge and, uh, and David's preparation, okay? Um, in chapter 17, at chapter 17, um, there's a valley between them in verse 3. Verse 4, And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines. Like I said, this is a style of warfare called champion warfare. All right? Uh, a champion out of, the, out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath, whose height was six cubits and a span. We're not going to debate about how tall he was. He was really tall. And he had a helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. 
He had greaves of brass upon his legs, and a target of brass between his shoulders, and the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam, and his spear's head weighed six hundred shekels of iron, and one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood, and he cried out unto the armies of Israel, and said unto them, Why are you come out to set your battle in array? Am not I a Philistine, and ye servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you, and let him come down to me. Translation. Goliath is saying, I'm... I'm here to fight. And when I'm looking at you, all of you are standing in the background. That's to put yourself in array. Why are all of you backed off so far from the confrontation? We could talk about we could talk about Christianity today, couldn't we? How many how many uh, are are there in the bleachers? They're in the bleachers and they're rooting for their man of God. Whenever God in the New Testament has made us all kings and priests, He's he's anointed everybody to get the victory. He has chosen for every child of God to win the battle. So I ask you the same thing that Goliath asked the Israelites. Why are you content to remain in the background. All right, all right, hold on. So uh, he says basically, bring, bring someone else, bring somebody to fight. There's bound to be somebody with enough guts out there to fight me. And he says, and if I win, you're going to be servants to the Philistines. And if you win, we're going to be the servants to you. Okay, now we know that David shows up. Okay, uh, but this is, this is, and, and I'll, I'll go into this a little more detail tomorrow, okay? So I'm trying to be better on our time. Uh, I'm thinking that maybe my 50-minute long Bible studies have to do with why it's taking 24 hours to upload. <laughs> so we're going to cut it a little short, and I'm going to see if this uploads better. Um, 1 Samuel 17, okay? And, they, and, and David basically speaks up, and he says, Hey, I'll fight him. Verse 31, and when the words were heard which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul, and he sent for him. Remember, David, Saul knows David as the harp player. He knows David is, uh, has the Spirit of God with him. And so, you know, whether he's calling David forth, uh, who knows? Saul may have been calling David here, you know, for, for the sake of comfort, to, for the sake of being around the anointing. Maybe, I, maybe if I can just get around Pastor, maybe if I can just get around, uh, you know, David long enough, uh, maybe I can I can you know feel better about my Goliath situation. Verse thirty-two, and David said to Saul, "Let no man's heart fail because of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine." Saul said to David, "Thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth." Remember the scope of First Samuel, the whole book. It is what what the Spirit of God is able to do versus what the flesh of man would like to do. Okay. Saul is limiting David once again because of the measurement of his flesh. But David knows that if I do win the victory, it won't be me. If I do end up killing Goliath, it's not going to be because I am such a skilled fighter. It's going to be because the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And the Spirit of the Lord is not upon me just because I was at the right place at the right time. The Spirit of the Lord was upon me because of my righteousness, because I walked with God. Mm. All right, now, um, we're going to, 
we're going to just jump a little bit further and then we're done, okay? Because I've got to save some stuff for tomorrow. All right? They have this conversation. David talks about his previous victories. That's what we're going to hit tomorrow. Verse 38, And Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he essayed to go, for he had proved it not. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. What I want you to see is that Saul right now, I know you might be thinking, man, Pastor Young, you really, you just beat up Saul every single lesson. And, and I make no qualms about it. Absolutely. Yes, I beat up Saul every lesson. And I'll tell you why. We read this book and we just talk about David because we want to identify with the hero. But the problem is the hero doesn't cause us to repent. I want you to see what Saul does because Saul is not the hero. He's, he's, the, he's the zero. Saul, Saul is the guy that you should not be like. Saul is my flesh. And so no wonder we like to read through this book and ignore it because if we, have a, if we, if we wake up and realize the, the stupidity of our fleshly direction, we will then have no choice but to be confronted with conviction and repent. And so this is why when I read this, I'm going over everything Saul is doing with you because I want you to see yourself in Saul. I want you, I want you to see what Saul is doing here. He has armed David with his armor. Okay? This is, this is a theory of mine. It is not biblical truth. This is, this is theory of mine, and I openly admit it. But the king's armor was always very unique. The king's armor would have had something indicating that this is Saul. His armor, you could have picked his armor out of an entire army. The king's armor was special. It was, it was unique. And could it be, just a theory, could it be that Saul is trying to put his armor on David so that when David goes out to battle, maybe the people of God will think that it's really their king going out to battle? I don't know that, okay? I, just a thought. Just a theory, just something for you to kind of, you know, chew on a little bit. But this is what I do know for sure. And that is that Saul should have been the one that was facing Goliath. Saul should have been the one that had the glory of God on him. Saul should have been the one that was winning the victory. But because he did not walk with God, because he could not find a place of repentance, Saul, Saul is having to send others out to win victories that were designed for him. I, I want to ask you, I want to ask you today, who is fighting for you? I know we're, we're like, man, Jesus is fighting for me. Jesus is fighting my battles. Oh yeah, he is, absolutely. And Jesus is fighting 
he's fighting or he has already won victories that that I mean you couldn't have won it's a turtle on a fence post folks it, I mean Jesus Jesus won won a victory that you could not win he paid a debt you could not pay I mean yeah but what I'm asking you is more in a day-to-day practical sense all right who is fighting in your place where you should be fighting? That's what I'm asking. What battles have I backed away from and I'm letting others shoulder the burden that really my anointing was originally designed to carry? Who's fighting for you? You see, I'm, I'm hoping that you're getting it. The more I'm going to keep on saying it. Who is it that is currently winning souls that you were designed to win, but you're too shy to speak to them? Who's witnessing for you? Who, who is it that's praying for you? I know we, we use that term, I'm praying for you. That, that's, I'm, not, I'm, I'm using it a slightly different way. Who's praying because you're not? Who is fasting for you? I'm not saying they're fasting so that you can be victorious. I'm saying who is it that is being burdened to fast simply because you have decided you cannot have enough uh, spiritual discipline to fast on your own? Saul is the one that was supposed to win. And he has determined now, since the Spirit of God has departed from him and since it has gone to another, that now I will live spiritually, vicariously, through someone else's anointing. The thing is, is if someone else fights for you, someone else wins the victory. If someone else prays for you, someone else gets closer to God. It is not on the backs of one man or three men or five people or ten women. It's not on the backs of a holy, sanctified few to bring in this mighty end-time revival. The parable uh, of the the eleventh hour, right? Jesus says that 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 owner, that landowner went out at the 11th hour and he found anyone else that was remaining, anybody else. And he called everyone else that remained and said, I've got a job for you. Everybody come in, everybody gets to work, everybody. And so folks, I, I want to just ask you that question one more time. And I don't want I don't want you to think about it the way that we normally do. Who's fighting for you? What battles should you be fighting? What should you be doing? That because you're not, others are having to take your place. 
the kingdom of God sure looks a whole lot better with you than it does without you. I love you. I hope that this has challenged you. I I pray that you would take some time alone with God and that you would ask Him, Lord, I I want want my own anointing. Lord, give me my own touch of the Spirit. I don't want to be out in a parking lot and see someone that is in desperate need of prayer and think to myself, I wish my pastor was here to pray for them because folks, the same Holy Ghost is in you that it is within me, the same Spirit of God, that that whole mantle thing, that whole you know special anointing thing, I'm telling you folks, that's, that's really Old Testament stuff. In the New Testament, the Spirit of Jesus Christ Himself is in all. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all, through all, and He is in you all. There's a reason why in the last days, it says, your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. That's, understand what he's saying. He's saying that in, in the end times, everybody should have a David-style anointing. But what we end up having, having is we have, we have some that have become Saul's that are giving other people their armor and giving other people you know, their spiritual opportunities and, and, and giving other people their, you know, and, and you've decided to, that deflection is your version of humility. But let me tell you folks, the Lord has called you for a particular purpose and he's waiting for you to get out in the valley and have your own battle. And so I just ask you one more time as we're done, who's fighting for you. It's time for you to fight. I love you so much and I pray that this has blessed you. If it has, please uh, click like or, or subscribe or share or whatever the stuff is that you guys do. You're doing an awesome job helping me to get the word out. Um, and, and once again, if this has challenged you, share this with your friends. I love you all so much. God bless you.